You're listening to episode 129 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. So I just saw that movie Us by Jordan Peele, which is a movie about evil doppelgangers, and it kind of had me thinking. Do you think there's an alternate reality where there's like a crime syndicate version of the Comics Pals that also have a podcast? Hmm. I don't think I... we would have a podcast. We would be criminals, so we would need to cover our tracks. Would they be called the Pals of Comics? Hmm. <laughs> or like the TV enemies? <laughs> or, like, or, or something like, like maybe the Comics Universe? The mm. comics. Ooh. <laughs> don't like, don't like that. Don't like that one bit. <laughs> let me and then let me ask a follow up question to that. In this alternate reality, where you're a media personality, an evil Phil one would that, actually be replaced by Henry Cavill, <laughs> and I would have a mustache. Um, what do you think your evil doppelganger would be like? So the exact opposite of of us, right? Or would well, they just be an evil version of us? I don't know. That's that's your interpretation. I guess it depends on the universe. Which one do we want to go with? This one goes without saying. Pete would be Marco. <laughs> if it's no. opposites, yeah. I mean, I, I think no, so. No, no, no. I'd be the same one, but with more murderous tendencies. And more, I'm a, sorry, more? A, a goatee. Uh, yes. I was going to say. No, no, no. Is, goatees is that, are not cool. Is that Side the difference? Burns. Like, every, every, it's, oh. it's, we're exactly the same, but we all just have a goatee. I, I'd like to think that my evil version of me is just really into brands. Like, his whole personality is just that he loves, like, the Marvel superhero movies, and that's who he is fundamentally as a person. And he's about the Disney acquisition of Fox. Oh, loves it. Yeah. He's yeah. like, oh my god, finally, we'll get the X-Men in the MCU. <laughs> oh, so your doppelganger is me. <laughs> <laughs> so who, what, what, what does that make Sean? <laughs> My doppelganger Asian. is is hmm. uh, I don't know. Did you, Marco, did you say Asian? No, we let it pass. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck, Marco? That's that's interesting. Can you explain that? I was thinking, I was thinking of like our other character bits, and I remembered Pete being uh, the the East Master. Right. <laughs> so, so, so yes, it was racist. Okay. To answer your question, I thought I thought you were gonna go to the the bit that Sean always like is just like makes the superhero black or whatever. Like, yeah, for more some so reason about the Asian representation. Black is Asian. I was like, where are you going with this, Marco? Marco. <laughs> Marco's like the smooth criminal. He's doing a lean right now, and he's leaning into the racism. <laughs> yes. Now you got to lean into it. Oh no, you don't. God. No. <laughs> now Kale, I think Kale might be the dark phoenix because we know how he feels about Jean Grey, and not only would he be Jean Grey, but he'd be evil Jean Grey. Well, I think I think the thing is, I would I would walk a really weird line of being such a nice, sweet person, but also like. As that Jean Grey Dark Phoenix idea, I would be like teetering on the edge of who I am now. <laughs> I, I feel like Kale would also, he would just be like super energetic, like he'd be into like parkour, you know? <laughs> I, would just, I would just love living. <laughs> He's like, man, me and Jess, me and Alternate Universe Jess, we're going on a 16 mile hike today and I can't wait. 
we ju- we jumped out our window and climbed and scaled the the neighbor's rooftop. Oh, we had the best we had the best view of Australia. Or maybe 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 we lean the other way, and he's like that old fish in a wheelchair in that SpongeBob episode that remembers when chocolate was invented and hates. No, that's what Kale's like now. <laughs> yeah, that's me now. Can I just can I just point out that we have a great view of Marco's crotch region right now? Like every oh. week, Marco is getting more and more inappropriate on this show. He's showing up at eleven in the morning and drinking wine. He's sticking his dick in the camera now. Like I don't even know what's Sorry, up with this guy. Had a, had a sneeze attack and he's left some boogers around the place. Nice. Now he's okay, back on his he's junk. Literally but... just pointed the camera back at his dick. He's like, no, Guys. I had I had to help my cat, but also here's my here's my crotch. Guys, I had I'm... a I had a legitimate reason, but here you go. Guys, I was thinking about it. Do you think Sean's evil doppelganger would have a fursona? No. No, because he's regular version. Because he's already got one. So right, the, the, the opposite. There's no there's no version of me that has a fursona. Dude, there's well, a, not another. There's at not least, any. There's, <laughs> oh. there's like at some... least one universe where everyone's a furry. So in that universe you definitely Except have a fursona. Except Sean. There's only oh, all, one universe. We can all agree it's a cat, right? We can all <laughs> agree about that for Sean. It's some form of cat. How would I be a cat? <laughs> you're, ve- uh, you're very, um, you're very uh, sort of level-headed. Pete, back me up here. You guys know about cats. <laughs> very level-headed, very chill. Uh, Sean is aloof like a cat. You have to, aloof, you have to, that's you the word I'm looking earn, for, aloof. You have to earn the love. That's not even true. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to help Kale. He's digging himself a hole. I'm trying to pull the shovel out of his hands. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Uh so before we go further down that weird ass rabbit hole. Are we gonna it? go further down that weird rabbit hole? No. I was gonna say Sean's gonna cough up a hairball, but alright. <laughs> Let me tell you guys where you can find us. We are we are uh, on most podcast hosting platforms, including Spotify. Uh, so head over to Spotify and check us out. You know, we want to make waves over there. We want to get like an exclusive contract where they'll pay us lots of money. That way we can, you know, just do this all the time. Lots and lots of money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we are at the Comics Pals wherever your social media is sold. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And uh, make sure that on all those platforms you drop us a comment and leave us a like. Those things help us out a lot. Now, uh, it's, been a, it's been a week, pretty big week. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. I, I, I did want to say uh, tomorrow, or not tomorrow, uh, in a couple days we're going to be recording a book club for the dark phoenix and i'm going to tell you right now and i'll repeat this one more time before that book club launches i have a bombshell announcement oh shit that's exclusive regarding that book club bombshell okay Okay. Uh, everyone brace yourselves this is this sounds serious marco put your helmet on it's already on uh, <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you what it is right now. What? Boom. I'm going to make everybody wait. Oh my God. I'm going to make everybody tune into the book club 
to find out what my bombshell announcement is. And I promise you, it's something you would never expect. So do you, the four of us know at all? You would guys know? have no idea. All right. I've already, I've already moved on. This is a Good. teaser trailer. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I, hate it. <laughs> I, I, I better not have to read this book for nothing. I, mean, I don't know what you nothing, mean. You already have to read it, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's jump into the pals pulls here from Marco. We've got Little Bird number two. Little Bird is a an image book um, that came out. Uh, from Darcy Van Polgeest, who's a filmmaker and director, uh, Ian Bertram, who's an artist that I happen to follow, and then Matt Hollingsworth, who, after this book was announced, uh, I saw Ian Bertram, he was sort of promoing it, and I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. I like his art style. It's very Jeff Stokely and like Frank Quietly kind of mix. And uh, then I saw Matt Hollingsworth was attached to the book, and I was like, oh, all right, this is something I'm going to pick up. I got the first issue and it was really, really cool. It's about like in his sort of post, uh, Oh, think of it like a post, um, handmaiden's tale kind of universe where like there's a overruling, uh, religion and, um, there's this mission to release this one warrior from some prison. And like, that's the bulk of this first issue. And so we sort of see what happens, towards the end of uh, the first issue we get resolved into this and this is just like something cool that it's a really cool world that I like um, especially with the the art sort of bringing it to life um, so yeah like sci-fi cyberpunky stuff it's it's a it's a good fun action-packed book that sounds cool does it star birds it does not people that's a little disappointing but okay so no no angry birds no angry birds unfortunately I'm I'm so bummed that that was where you went. Listen, I set the bar high. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Hollingsworth is really good. I He's really the understand. colorist on Wicked, right? No, uh, that's, that's Wilson. Yeah, Wilson. He Always was on. Um, he was on Witches. He was on oh, yeah, Tokyo yeah, okay. Ghost. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Tokyo mm, Ghost. Nice. Uh, New Fifty Two Swamp Thing. Uh, he was on a couple stuff. Cool. Nice. Sounds interesting. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, uh, we also have the Kamandi Challenge from Phil. Yeah, this was the, um, this was part of that 100th birthday of Jack Kirby, where they, you know, uh, took a bunch of creators to work on notable Jack Kirby books. Um, we talked about this on the show when this happened, uh, when they were releasing monthly. Um, this is, the 12 issues of Kamandi, and you have a myriad of writers here um, like uh, Tom King and Neil Adams and uh, Dan Abnett and Walter Simonson and stuff like that. Um, uh, of course, uh, Kamandi is the last boy on earth, so you know he fucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is he Gary Oak? Let's not go there. Um, <laughs> that show's dead. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to reading this. Um, com- the, the the original Kamandi uh, book from the 70s by Kirby is one of those kind of uh, 
underrated gems that people don't talk about as often in in comparison to his other work so uh yeah looking forward to checking this out very cool very cool um so Phil, you've uh sorry go on. Phil, you you've you've read uh, the jack kirby stuff um i've read parts of it like 15 years ago okay yeah it's uh i went on like a commandi sort of binge a couple years back and uh that's a really good series yeah i remember really liking it um at that time i was just consuming so much stuff um i think i had because at that time i was still buying a bunch of stuff like i would go to conventions and buy like multiple singles and stuff um and i think i just couldn't find a lot of it at that point or something so so I chose American Carnage number six. Uh, American Carnage has been phenomenal. Really, really, really good. Brian Edward Hill, uh, Juan Ferrara. It, just really, really different. And uh, Brian, Brian Hill is, 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 um, is at the top of his game. It's, a, it's, it's an uncomfortable book to read, but it's really, really strong. And um, I can't wait for this next issue. Yeah, um, I've heard really good things about this book. And it's it's something I've been meaning to check out. And it'll probably be something I check out when it's all completed. Um, which is why I, I didn't add it. Because why would I add? Like, you know, yeah. Um, I was turned off at first because I thought it was blatant false advertising. Because there was no symbiotes in this book. But I got I got over it. <laughs> well, I don't know, dude. When I, I like, I saw the first cover, and I was like, "There's red in the, you know, in in the logo." So maybe, maybe Carnage will show up. Pete, you're so optimistic. I love you. <laughs> I also chose Angel Number Zero. So, uh, Boom did a thing, and they essentially came out of nowhere and launch and are launching an Angel series. Um, they didn't solicit it. They didn't publicize it uh, up until this week, which is pretty unique in comics. They they and pulled a Beyonce. J- just for those who don't know, like Angel from Buffy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is about me, Warren Worthington the <laughs> Third. I am a part of the X Men. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! So this this is actually releasing the same week as Buffy number four, and essentially what Boom did, what to keep this a secret was, they're just adding an issue of Angel Zero to everybody's order. So like, if you ordered one copy of Buffy four, you get one copy of Angel Zero, and for every oh. copy of Buffy you ordered, you get one copy of Angel Zero. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. That's it's pretty. A bold move. Yeah, exactly. And I really like that. I think that's super cool. I mean, they're giving away essentially this issue, um, because they just added it on. So that's but but that's cool because it's going to be a way of enticing people to jump on to right. this series. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a really. And I know we're, like, not here to, like, talk about it, I guess. But, like, that's a really innovative move when you think about it. Because instead of spending money on marketing the book, you just give out the book to people, to, like, 
the most likely audience to pick it up, you know? Like, that feels like a smarter investment of that money. Because who's going to read this book besides Buffy fans? And who are the most hardcore Buffy fans and people out here reading this comic? I don't know that the that the issue will be free. That that's the that's oh, the Oh, it's not like bundled? No, it's it's oh, if if the store okay. ordered one copy of Buffy, the store gets one copy of Angel Zero I see, I see. at oh. no additional cost. Okay. Alright, well I mean that's still a good idea, but one would assume or hope I guess hope that they would just kind of give it out. But if not, then that would be. I mean, I guess they'd be making a buck on a free comic for them. So, yeah, the reason why I thought like it was cool for the retailer was because, you know, yeah, they're, like they're going plus all the way on this on this book because they pay nothing to get it. Essentially, um, I don't know if that's going to pay off necessarily, but hey, it's you know, it's nice. I hope um, that Boom talks about how it goes, because I'd be really interested to hear about how yeah. that strategy pays off for them. And at least as far as Midtown Comics goes, they have it solicited at $4. So I'm assuming it's not going to be free for us to pick up. Um, what these two books have in common is that they are both by Brian Edward Hill. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. So very, very cool that he's working on Angel. He had a lot of really cool things to say about it. The other reason why this is awesome is that I, I do have an announcement to make. Next week, we will actually have Brian Edward Hill here on the show. Um, oh, yeah. that was your spoiler. No. no. Oh, you, 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 you tricked me. You duped me. You like duped I'm yourself. Some, like I'm some sort of... <laughs> You some dupe. some some sort of rube or a simpleton. Well, a dupe. I am dupe from X Factor. Friends of Warren Worthington the third. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, but yeah, at any rate, if you if you are a fan of of Hills for any of his several books, whether it's Detective Comics or um, uh, what's that book, Postal, or um, yeah, Postal. American Carnage, his What If X-Men book. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that he's done that's all really cool. You're going to enjoy this interview. I know Marco and I have been looking forward to talking to him for a long time. Mm-hmm. So um, make sure to tune in for that. Now, let's jump into the news. And we're going to start with, I think, by far the biggest thing that happened this week, which is the Disney Plus news explosion we learned so much about what Disney Plus is going to be. Uh, D23 happened alongside all of this uh, Disney Plus news. We got our first trailer for Star Wars from the Star Wars Celebration, uh, Star Wars Episode Nine, um, which looks really cool. But obviously, we are we are focused on the comics and and comic related media end of the spectrum, and we got a lot of really really cool information out of this so first i want to talk about what disney plus is going to look like and i think that a lot of this stuff is stuff we already talked about but i do want to get your guys feedback now that a lot of this is official so first of all we have a price disney plus is going to be seven dollars a month or seventy dollars a year which is about 580 a month if you pay 
all up front. Um, that is a great price to That's start. Huge. I when we first like speculated about this, I remember we were talking about like we do we think they'll undercut Netflix, and I think we all agreed yes because they could afford to. But this is like half of what Netflix costs right now. Yep. That's fucking yeah. wild. And and on the heels of a, a Netflix uh, price hike too. This 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 is some sneaky monopoly shit that uh, corporations do to drive their competition out of business. They make a price artificially low so that a consumer is attracted to it, and it's got to work like a charm. This is how Walmart drove mom and pop shops out of business. Uh, this is some crafty, sneaky shit by the Walt Disney Co. Well, Netflix ain't no mom and pop shop. And no, that's for sure. I'm not saying I feel bad for Netflix. Uh, the, the 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 thing is, and my argument way back then was sort of what Pete said, but also the fact that even though the Disney properties are certainly attractive, they can only offer that. Now they do have the Fox stuff, but they're still limited. Whereas Netflix can offer you a variety of different things. So I think that Disney Plus always had to come in lower. The $7 a month price point is really low. That is all I needed to see in order to be sold. Yeah. Pretty much. For me, it's the $70 a year. I'm just going to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. it's like that's like basically buying a new video game. You know, it's like $5 more than that. It's like, cool, I don't have to worry about it. Yep. What um I guess like what percentage of usage do you guys then feel like you'll actually be on this platform versus a Netflix versus a Hulu if you or like I guess broken out between the streaming services you have for a TV kind of thing like what do you foresee yourselves actually using this? I'm just curious. So for me um I'm I think representative of uh I I think a lot of people our age have more than one and I I have both Netflix and Hulu. And my time between the two is divided based on what's on, you know, like if I um, like recently, right, I was rewatching The Office. So I was I was using Netflix every night and barely touched Hulu for months unless there was a new episode of Bob's Burgers or something, you know, um, whereas now I'm going through a rewatch of Brooklyn Nine-Nine because the new season just came out and now I'm on Hulu every day. So I think this will be just another thing slotted in there and it's like you know for me like i am i don't use cable at all you know so if there is another platform that i can get for five dollars a month where there's this huge backlog of content plus exclusive shows like the marvel stuff that i know we're going to talk about on this show and the star wars stuff which if it's good i'll definitely be interested in it seems like I'll probably get a decent amount of usage out of it for $5 a month. What's $5? You know, it's what's that, a trip to McDonald's or something? Like, big deal. Well, Pete, don't say that because I know you like your McDonald's. I mean, that's fair. So, I I think that this is something that... This is something that I'll definitely end up using because there are a lot of... Believe it or not, there are a lot of Disney movies that I would love to revisit. And I don't own most of them on DVD. I have them on VHS, but I'm not about to just, you know, rock my VHS. <laughs> sure. um, 
and 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 the shows you know the new the new content all of that stuff is super attractive a big part of what made netflix so attractive for me was that it had a lot of that stuff or you know a solid amount plus the marvel shows that netflix had has um that stuff makes this super attractive i log on netflix i don't know about you guys i log on netflix and unless it's something that i came there specifically to watch i don't know what to put on you know yeah Mm -hmm. unless i'm watching something you know but the the thing is that's what i mean yeah yeah, Netflix has been good though about like having a, a steady stream of content, and I think the thing that like you're, to your point, Sean, is that like Netflix has a kind of content that Disney Plus will never have. You know, like they've been finding a lot of success with like stand up comedy and like doing reality shows and cooking shows and stuff, and you know, but there is the 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 added thing too that I think like when you think Disney Plus, you think Disney content, and it's like that is also all of the MCU movies. Like they they announced that like at all thirty seasons of The Simpsons are going to be exclusively on Disney Plus, which is a big deal. Like they do have a lot of content that they can leverage here, um, that I think will be attractive, like for people in between their exclusive broadcasts. You know, yeah, the, the Simpsons have never been allowed to stream anywhere except like the FX, FX app. FX I think, app. yeah. yeah. For me, I, I feel like this is like even with the price point, that's super attractive, but. Uh, I feel like I'm at a point where there are too many streaming services. And actually, I found out about the release of Disney Plus through articles that stated, like, we're going to be hitting a point where we're going to have to bundle streaming services. And um, so, like, for me, getting it coming coming into it, I already kind of knew I wasn't going to get it just because I already have Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, HBO. Like, there's already stuff piled on there that, I can't spread those dollars any more thin. So for somebody who's already in the market f- for streaming services, like I don't know that this is something that will pull me away from some of the other stuff that I already have. Interesting. Yeah, cuz I always find that that are that argument to be confusing because up until now, like up until streaming services became a dominant force, like our parents paid for cable that was way more expensive than that for, you know, decades. Um, and like, I know for me, I have Netflix and Hulu and it's a lot, you know, I spend $24 a month or whatever, $30 a month for those two things that I use pretty much every day. Like, you know, adding $5 a month to that, getting me up to like 35 or 40, maybe like that doesn't seem unreasonable if I'm using it. that that comparison to me uh doesn't reflect the the world as it is because our parents yeah they had cable but um we don't do a lot of the same things our parents did and you know the cord cutting uh movement in this country is sweeping and that's in an effort to save money because quite frankly a lot of people can't afford it they work two jobs barely getting by and when you have those subscriptions um you know sapping money out of your wallet every month at some point it does become similar to a cable situation granted it'll it'll probably never amount to the same amount for the average human right but that average human also probably has less less spending money than our parents did or are less willing to live 
within certain margins than our parents were. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's a totally legitimate side of the argument. I think the only thing that I guess I mean is like you don't have to get all of these, right? It's way easier to shop a la carte with these services, I think. Um, and that, that's what Marco's for, saying. Yeah, right. Like Marco's got five of them or whatever, and if this is the one he doesn't want to throw on the pile, okay. Yeah. yeah. So the other thing we learned, one of the other things I should say, is that it will be arriving in November, specifically November 12th. Damn. Farther out than yeah. I thought it would be. A little bit farther I, out, yeah. yeah. Makes a lot of sense, though. Catch those uh, for America. The holiday markets will be that'll oh, right. they'll get huge numbers for that. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. that'll be that'll make a strong showing. That's also, also like... Around. Oh, go ahead, Phil. It's also around the time the new Star Wars movie will come out, and that might drive sure. people to get it to watch a bunch of Star Wars stuff. Yeah. Yep. And there's also a likelihood that there'll be an MCU movie right around that time, and yeah, it's it, it's not a bad time to launch for sure. I just I kind of I kind of saw this coming like in the next few months. I don't know why, but so um. It was mentioned that they would have uh, the Simpsons exclusively on Disney Plus. Uh, they're also going to have, you know, everything by Disney Animation, by Marvel, by Star Wars, uh, Pixar, Disney Channel stuff. Disney Channel original movies, baby. <laughs> um, you guys ready for a Halloween Town marathon? Let's go. I, I have to leave now. <laughs> I feel you. Um. The, the, so there's going to be something for everyone, obviously. A lot of the the exclusive stuff that we don't talk about is stuff that will appeal to people who are lifers for Disney or people who, you know, as young people may have liked Disney and liked, like, High School Musical or whatever. They're doing a, you know, a sequel to that or a TV series based on that or whatever. People who have kids. Exactly. So th- this is a perfect – this is perfect for families – and I think really competes or can compete with Netflix on that scale. Of course, the most compelling element of this for us is what it will contain that uh, relates to Marvel, Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff. So everything that was teased before that we thought was coming out, all the rumors, ended up being real. Uh, They announced a show called WandaVision, the worst Which name I've ever heard is a, a very odd name. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> the first time I saw it, I misread it as Wakanda Vision, and I was like, <laughs> "Did they develop uh, VR goggles?" <laughs> <laughs> um, there will be a show called The Winter Soldier and the Falcon, which will star Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan. Most as excited the about that one. Winter Soldier, Falcon. Yep. Rolls um, right off the tongue. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, there will also be a show which will focus on Loki and his past on some level, which you know is either a spoiler for Endgame or not, depending on your perspective. All of these could be a potential spoiler for Endgame. I found out that the show is also streaming on Tumblr.com. <laughs> it's already out, actually. <laughs> Uh, the only show that they didn't talk about, but is also a, a real show, is the Hawkeye show, which is so weird that they didn't officially come out and say this at this presentation, but we are getting a Hawkeye show, which appears to be based on, um, it, at least loosely based on the Matt Fraction, David Aja uh, run with the character, and we'll see 
Kate Bishop being trained by him, uh, you know, to become Hawkeye. Kale, how do you feel about Jeremy Renner playing the Matt Fraction Hawkeye? I I don't think it'll be any good. Jeremy Renner as <laughs> Hawkeye sucks. There it is. <laughs> um, I like for me that's that's almost the thing that got me, and then I was just like, nah. It was funny because I remember <laughs> like, I saw you say that on like Facebook or something, and I was like, but he hates Jeremy Renner. <laughs> yeah, but I I do really like Hawkeye, and I do really like Kate Bishop, but man, I hate Jeremy Renner. Yeah, Dick, dicks out to the Disney executives for choosing the least charismatic Avenger. The least charismatic actor to play the least charismatic Avenger. <laughs> I don't know. I I I think that in in a in a space where he is the main actor and doesn't have to compete for screen time with Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans. Uh, I think we might see him, you know, do some different stuff and have an opportunity to shine. Cool, he's golfing with a handicap. (laughs) (laughs) I won't see that movie uh, or show, so I'm not going to see him do all those things. So, I don't know. All right. Uh, We also had confirmed for us the... What if series that will be animated and will feature the voices of you know the the actors portraying themselves you know on on the animated small screen? The first episode was actually announced, and it's going to star Peggy Carter. And it's a it's a what if episode that essentially is what if Peggy Carter was the one who was injected with the super soldier serum and not Steve Rogers. Uh-huh. And tied into that, what if Steve Rogers was given an Iron Man suit by Howard Stark? Not an Iron Man suit, but a you know a suit of armor, a la Iron Man. Cool. Oh yeah, yeah, it sounds cool. Tales of interest. <laughs> Tales of interest. Um. I, I see so you, yeah, Phil. I see you. The 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 final thing that 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 uh, they kind of announced in this block was that uh, uh, there will be no ads on Disney+, Plus, which Ooh. is a small thing, but if you use Hulu, then you know that Hulu uh, right. double dips and charges you more to get rid of ads, which is insane to me. You but, get less ads for like eight bucks or something. Well, well the, thing, the thing is you get no ads on any of the content that they haven't negotiated must-have ads is the thing. So it's yeah. like a weird... It's because Hulu, the one thing that makes Hulu uh, that kind of differentiates it is that it gets content a, like a few days after it airs on television. So. Same day for most of it. Yeah. Okay. Like, there you go. Yeah. Not a fan of that practice, but uh, I guess for people who really, really want to watch television shows as they release or air, um, you know, you gotta you gotta deal with it. I guess. Um, so that was it for the MCU proper announcements. Uh, there were a couple other loosely related things that I did want to just quickly shout out. Uh, there will be non-fiction shows here within within the Marvel brand. Um, so one of them is called Marvel's Hero Project. Uh, the series is focused on what they say are real life heroes. Uh, and it's basically just going to follow 
people who have done things in their community that are you know noteworthy and remarkable. Uh, it's like documentary style stuff. Sorry. Like documentary style stuff? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So when you said that, my first thought was the two reality shows that Stan Lee had, uh, Who Wants to Be a Superhero and Stan <laughs> Lee's Superhumans. Uh, and lo and behold, it wasn't those. No, no. They should bring uh, shows back, though. <laughs> with Stan Lee. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> no? With, right. with Cup oh, of no, Joe, use- Joe Quesada. They could they could use the uh the the you know the the, the Princess Leia technology to bring Stan back. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Let's do it. It's called it's called Stanley Superhuman. Yeah. <laughs> Stanley uh, colon Superhuman. No, fuck it, do do the Tupac Shakur hologram. Let's do it. Yeah, man. Uh, so then the other thing was Marvel's six one six which is a documentary series that is just going to... This one I think is really interesting. It's taking Marvel characters and sort of like tying them into social context. Uh, so as an exa- an easy example is like Luke Cage, right? And the social context in which he was created, the whys of it and what the world was like at that time and wow. different stuff like that. That's cool. Boy, I'm really bad at guessing what these are about because I was like, oh, is it, a- <laughs> is it about the area code 616 in Michigan? Because I looked it up. Oh, my God. And guess but what? Yeah, I was that, wrong again. That's 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 it. Uh, that's the stuff that uh, really that's that's the, the big stuff from this Disney Plus announcement. Ultimately, where do you guys stand on this, you know, whether you'll get it or not, we kind of talked about that. But do you think that, that as of what they've announced, is this enough to be appealing? The best example in comparison, I think, that we have is the DC Universe app. Um, do you guys think this is a better offering than that on its face? What do you guys make of this overall? I'm not attached to a lot of the Disney properties. Like, I've never grew up with it. Uh, I had Cartoon Network and Nick. Um and so a lot of this to me is like fine. Like outside of the the Marvel stuff, that's the only real connection I have to any of this content. Like the the Simpsons, not really. Uh, again, Disney, no. But for the superhero stuff, like to at least be inundated on that, that that I think would be attractive enough. But um, as mentioned before, I don't think I can spread it to to subscribe. Let me ask you a question. So you wouldn't. You wouldn't be willing to dump, say, the DC Universe app to pick this up. Ooh, let me Not answer right that now. for him. No, because Swamp Thing hasn't come out yet. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Sean, you know the answer to that question. As, as, actually, soon, as soon as they give the order that Swamp Thing's canceled, he'll drop that shit like a hot potato. Because I, uh, I dropped Verve. Like, uh, so I, I actually want to, after Swamp Thing comes out, I want to drop DC so I can pick up Verve again so I can watch my anime. Uh-huh. That, that all tracks on brand um, <laughs> now what I find really curious about all this is the, the slogan they've attached to this um, oh, here we go yeah I thought <laughs> I thought it was going to be a lawsuit or something but maybe this kind of thing just transcends corporate branding uh, Disney Plus Dark Side is <laughs> okay because I'm pretty sure Bob Iger got the anti-life equation and he's going <laughs> to Run amok here and destroy the streaming world. 
So, so hey, hey, Sean, can we hire Phil from the uh, dark unit, that evil universe? I think uh, I have a better conversation. I, I totally agree. Uh, Marco, I want to throw it back to you. Um, okay, so you're not going to get it, but do you think that this is enough content to launch with? When DCU app launched, we said yeah, that oh. it wasn't enough. Yeah, yeah. This this is much more robust than anything that DC would have launched with. Like, even if they had launched with all the shows that they have now announced, I don't think it even stands to to the amount of content that uh, Disney Plus is releasing. So I think from a value perspective, I think there's more value there and it makes more sense. But it sort of depends on where you fall with the content at that point. Um, but strictly from content to dollar value, Disney, I think, wins it out. Yeah, I think like, and I don't, I don't even think it's a close competition, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. I think to Marco's yeah. point, if every show that DC had announced in development was available at launch, it still wouldn't even be a fraction of a fraction of what Disney has to offer here, you know? Because it's not just... Because, like, to Marco's point, right, like, even if you didn't grow up with the Disney properties, like, even if that's not something you care about, I think, like, a Marvel app like is something that probably could have existed on its own a star wars app is something that probably could have existed on its own having both of those and pixar and all of the disney channel stuff under one banner like there's going to be an insane amount of content here day one and the fact that they have all of these exclusive series like planned and that they have top tier talent like one of the things we didn't talk about is like they're doing a monsters inc show and they have john goodman and billy crystal coming oh, back what? yeah like that's the level of stuff that they are able to deliver here you know and like that's a big deal um and i think like this initial wave of content is going to be worth the price of admission and it's only going to get bigger the more successful it is which i think as sean pointed out it's almost certainly going to be a success because of how cheap it is so Kale, you said that uh, you wouldn't be watching the Hawkeye series. You 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 won't have this. Um, is that because you you're not intrigued by what's being offered here? It's not not enough for you. I I think I have s- soured a bit on the Marvel Cinematic Universe overall. Huh. In just that, I would like to go to the movies and not watch a superhero film. Um. So the and I'm you know uh, an avid comic book reader, so the appeal the appeal of having these characters in more stuff for me is just it's just not really there. Um, I would I primarily for me it's it my reasoning is similar to Marco. I I. You know, I already spend money on Netflix, Hulu, Spotify, and I even uh, have Amazon through my dad. So, like, I've got I've got a lot more content that I like better. All right. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I would ask Phil, but uh, he's a memer. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This is this is a big a big announcement, and I'm so excited for this to launch. Uh, I, I'm I'm definitely gonna get it, and um, I can't wait to see how this integrates with the MCU because th- this is different than what they did with, uh, say, Agents of Shield, and that that was really developed separate from Marvel in a weird way. This is all in house. This is all Kevin Feige. 
And I think that there's a much higher chance that this stuff actually is relevant, which is maybe the biggest boom possible because it it extends the MCU into your home for a price. So very excited. But that's not the only go ahead for for a price. That's correct. That's right. Uh, everything has a price and everyone has a price. Now, that's not the only MCU-related news that we got this week because we also got what appears to be a pretty definitive answer from Kevin Feige and the directors of Avengers Endgame and Infinity War, the Russo brothers, on whether or not we can expect to see the Fantastic Four and the X-Men in Endgame and beyond. So... uh, the Russos said that they, they were asked a question by comicbook.com whether or not it would have been possible to include some sort of scene with the X-Men and Fantastic Four in Endgame. And they had they had this answer. It would not have been possible. That deal didn't actually close until a week and a half ago. It would not have been logistically possible. Anthony Russo said, we will get there. And Joe Russo finalized the statement by saying we'll get to secret wars one day so they're saying don't expect to see anything related to the x-men or fantastic four in endgame kevin feige was more definitive he said when asked the same question uh it'll be a while it's all just beginning and the five-year plan that we've been working on we were working on before any of that was set so really it's much more for us less about specifics of when and where the x-men will appear right now and more just the comfort factor and how nice it is that they're home they're all back but it will be a very long time now we've talked about this on the show several times about when and how to introduce these characters and one of the things that i said was that you know they do work well in advance and if Kevin Feige and the Russos are to be believed here, we're not going to see a Spider-Man-like, you know, shuffling of the deck to accommodate these characters. They're really just going to not use them for five years or or some amount of time that is longer than a couple of years. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know that I totally believe that. Yeah, I'll, I'll believe it when I see yeah, it. Yeah, like... Or don't. Right, yeah, right, or, yeah, exactly. Don't, yeah. That great point, Marco. Um, cause sure, like we could take them at face value. This could be the truth, but Kevin Feige's made statements like this before about other things that came to fruition. So we'll see or not. <laughs> I definitely see where your, spe- your, um, your, so what I'm looking for here. Uh, I definitely understand where you guys are coming from. Yeah. Yeah. But, although I'm inclined to believe Kevin Feige, I think that there's an alternative in which both are true. I think that there's a possibility of, at least with the X-Men, maybe the Fantastic Four, actually making movies that include them without them being involved in Phase 4 at all. Oh, that's a good point. Like, back, yeah. like in the background or something? Mm-hmm. So, Particularly for X-Men characters, how easy would it be to put a mutant in something? Well, yeah. here's here's the theory. 
what if phase four ends okay what if phase four is whatever it is in that our x-men and fantastic four movies what we learn is that those movies take place in an alternate universe where only they exist and the mcu movies that we have seen so far take place in in a universe where the others don't exist and the finale of, of, of Phase 4 is Secret Wars, which actually causes all those characters to collide. And Phase 5 includes them all because Secret Wars ends in a way that leaves them in the same space. Where they, like, reboot the universe? Yeah. Huh. That that doesn't seem impossible, you know? Like, yeah, like, I could definitely see something like that. The idea of them is establishing a second universe seems kind of weird, but... If they they did make a thing about they made the joke about secret wars, so it's like I don't know, I don't know. It wouldn't even need to be um, it wouldn't need to be fully f- fully fleshed out in the sense that you don't have to answer the questions of well, where are the Avengers? Yeah, you just say they don't exist. The right. the the heroes of this world are the X Men and the Fantastic Four. That's actually kind of meta when you think about it because technically. Uh, based on Fox, there are different universes, right? Like, yeah, there is a universe that we have all been watching for the last twenty years, in which only the X Men and the Fantastic Four exist, and then a separate one in which only the MCU exists. So, but Spider Man exists in both. No, well, no, because Spider Man's owned by Sony, right? He had his own universe. Yeah, so, but he's technically in the MCU. Yeah. He well, he's in the MCU, but not in in the Sony universe, right? So like, okay, okay, yeah, okay. Except he is also in the, the old Spider-Man universe. How much multiverses work, Marco? There's multiple <laughs> universes. It's when that comic book shit confuses. Yeah, because you don't like, read nah. enough. <laughs> nah. How hard is it to accept that there are countless multiple alternate realities? I just don't know how they tie together, man. That's my issue. They don't. That's my issue. But they do. Oh. <laughs> You're confusing the boy. Well, comic books are confusing. I don't I don't think that whatever PowerPoint presentation they're going to put together at the end of Avengers Endgame, I don't think that doesn't count as an appearance. They're going to have their four with Wolverine's claws going through it or the fucking X over the four. Like, like just because they couldn't get Wolverine and the thing on on screen doesn't mean they're not going to put something at the end of Endgame. Okay, so what you're suggesting is that at the end of Endgame, there will be a tease that includes the X-Men and Fantastic Four graphically, but not character-wise. I, why wouldn't they? Okay, does anybody else agree with that or... Are you willing to go a step further and say that there will actually be an appearance by one, by a character or multiple characters that represent that world? I think that it could be a number of things. Based on these comments, I don't believe that there will be a scene at the end of Endgame that features these characters. However, if there is, or if there's something to what Kale said, I also wouldn't be surprised because they have lied to give us a moment before. You know. All right, but I want you to. I want you to. Give me a straight up answer yeah, right now. I, I did. Call it. I'm like calling it. We will not see it. But I don't think it's totally off the table. Nope, nope, nope. You called it. That's it. Yeah, Marco. I'm calling it. That's my bet. 
I'm saying no, and I'm not saying anything else because I'm not a bitch. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> Yo, Marco, I'm going to fucking kick your candy ass next time I see you. <laughs> I'd like to see you try it. He fucking put you down, son. <laughs> old Yeller's dead. And I mean Old Yeller. You don't know about Marco. You guys know how Master Roshi is like this frail, skinny dude, but when he takes yep. off his shirt, he's a beast? Yep. That's, that's Marco. Marco. Marco's like Master Roshi in more than one way. Well, that's also true, actually. <laughs> Thirsty um, little pervert. Phil, what about you? I liked Kale's theory where he said there's going to be an X symbol and a four. I think we're going to get that long-awaited X-Men 3 sequel, X4. <laughs> Oh my god. Sometimes, man. Dude, I want that. <laughs> I want X4. The return the return of the death of Jean Grey. <laughs> Brett Ratner returns. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Wait, who was it that directed those movies? Not well, not X3. Um Brian Singer. Brian Singer. The Return of Brian Singer. Let's no. Go. Also, no. <laughs> all right. Listen, I I get all the problems with Brian Singer. I understand all of that. But if we're if we're we get yeah, that's all bad. If we're going back to <laughs> the X Men universe of that time, I want X Four directed by Brian Singer. No, no. Let's do it. He's no. he already directed Apocalypse. And Days of Future Past, so... One of those was good, the other was a movie. (laughs) Was it, though? (laughs) One of those was good. No, yeah, yeah, no, the other one, I was, it was more the, was that actually a movie? (laughs) It was a movie. Um, so, my answer is that I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that I don't believe that there will be any tease at all. Yeah. No, I agree, there will also not be a tease. But I don't necessarily I, I, believe them. I would like to say that previously, uh, when we have brought this up, I think I sided on. We're probably going to see it, but based off this most recent information, uh, I'm I'm going to lean on believing Feige at this point. Maybe maybe we'll see the traditional Wolverine outfit, and then they'll never do anything with it. Yeah, in orange, that'd be dope. <laughs> that's I mean that's what they did at the end of uh, yeah. uh was it. Origins like 2? Yeah. It was, it was yeah. the Wolverine. Yeah. The Wolverine. Yeah. Oh, that's right. It was the it was the yellow... Professor Xavier brought him the yellow helmet in the trunk, and then we never saw it. That, is, that movie is, like, was not bad, but it's one of the most forgettable movies I've ever seen. That's, that's pretty, that's I, a pretty good movie. It's pretty good. Like, it's pretty good. Was I, I was just watching something where... Oh, oh, oh! It was a it was a common writer thing. I was watching a video about common writer, and they said that they said that X Men Origins X Men Origins Wolverine is you know how he goes to Japan and you know they have all the geishas and the samurais and stuff. That's Frank Miller and Chris Claremont. They said this this narrator or whatever was like that's how that movie is how. Uh, we know what Americans think of us. That it would basically be like if Common Rider went to America and fought and, a bunch of cowboys and fought a bunch of cowboys and like cheerleaders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I, I like I like how Kale couldn't remember what's that thing I always watch. Oh right, Common Riders. <laughs> <laughs> I like how they're talking about the Wolverine and Common Rider. What the hell? I don't I don't get that. But uh, let's let's talk about Saga. So Saga is a comic I think that has really in a lot of ways, um, dominated the industry, especially from a, from a graphic novel perspective. Uh, so, so much fandom exists around Saga. Uh, we've got 54 issues so far, which is a massive amount for a comic really? book to I would, have. I would have, I would have thought it was way less, or, uh, I would have thought they had way more. I mean, they would have if they didn't take like six month breaks yeah. like every year. But the question I think on a lot of people's minds has been, you know, when is this thing going to end? Uh, <laughs> people and, are sick of it. And, <laughs> and, no. and, Get and me got, off this crazy thing. We've got an answer. So Ryan K. Vaughn did an issue or did an interview rather with Entertainment Weekly in which he talked about uh, the, the, the first compendium, compendium one, which collects the first 54 issues and he says that that is the halfway point of the series so that suggests that the series will end with 108 issues whether or not he meant that literally remains to be seen but i do want to read some words from uh both brian and fiona staples the artist on the book uh brian said I love Fiona's new cover, and I'm so proud that these first 54 issues and the last seven years of our work together will be available in one gorgeous and affordable package that you can either binge over a single long vacation or slowly devour until our series returns. And Fiona and I are excited to finally share with everyone that this compendium represents the first half of our story, a planned 108-issue epic. We're so grateful to our amazing readers for their support and patience. And we hope that this compendium will be the perfect holiday gift to help introduce your loved ones to the continuing adventures of Hazel and her star-crossed family. Now, Fiona said, Hazel's family has come a long way since we launched Saga in 2012, and it's very cool to see that much story all in one volume. We owe our readers massive thanks for getting us to this point, and I couldn't be more excited for the next leg of the journey. So awesome uh the saga first compendium will come out october 16th and we don't know when saga is coming back which is crazy sounds like still not for a while based on the fact that they were like you could read it through the holidays while you wait for the book to come back sounds like right we're not getting yeah. it in 2020 <laughs> right we we haven't we haven't talked about saga a lot on this show but i know that at least three of us are fans of it yeah um just since this is the halfway point, I think it's a, a nice opportunity to just talk about the series and, you know, how much we like it and stuff like that. You know, just a, ge- a general conversation about Saga. Sure. Uh, I read the first three uh, trade paperbacks, which I think is 18 issues. Um, it is so creative and so innovative. And for all intents and purposes, there's nothing like it uh, in comics. Uh, at least before this started coming out. Um, I, I've kind of procrastinated in catching up because it is slow. Um, but so Slow in coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this, this is going to be remembered as a benchmark 
title of the 2010s without question. Well, in 2020s at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah, both. both. Uh, for me, yeah, I'll, I'll speak similar to Phil. I, I have read, I think, up to tra- uh, TPB4. Okay. Um, and I, I didn't want to like Saga because it was so hyped and because <laughs> one of those such a hater. <laughs> well and because uh there are there is the when i was in school there was a person who who uh who liked it a lot uh and i didn't like that person at all <laughs> um so i didn't you know i didn't want to like something that they liked That's... um but like i i got it in an image sale and uh uh the first page is is basically she's giving birth and and the first thing is that she says i'm gonna shit and and i was like i was like fuck i'm in (laughs) (laughs) um so like this is one of the books that came out of that whole image boom and Mm. where i sort of started to first jump into comics so this is probably my third or fourth series ever so it's actually my the longest series i've ever followed uh, up until this point and like on a monthly basis and so uh, this is really exciting to that we've gotten to this point uh it's amazing that it's been seven years that's kind of crazy to think about and to think that there's seven years left is also crazy to think about considering how much has happened and how far we've gone uh so i'm I, for this this is sort of just a marker of this is going to be like the next amazing arc uh, or this is going to wrap everything up and it's going to be over this long form story that uh, Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples have been developing and it's just going to be the culmination of everything that's been built up to it. So it's just going to be awesome to to see that finally. Um, We're going to have to wait for it, but it's worth the wait. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've been a fan of, of Saga since day one. I was an early adopter and it, it it is incredible um it's especially for me at that time so different than than anything that i had read uh it was probably one of the one of the earlier non marvel or dc books that i picked up um and it it is incredible i love the relationship artistically creatively that brian Kavon and fiona staples have like they do such a great job of getting their messages across, and there's never a moment, for me anyway, where it's like, oh, this doesn't make sense, or this could have been done better, or whatever. They're just very in sync. They're like a really good what... band, you know? Like yeah. They just fucking, pl- they jam together. Their styles yeah. mesh really well. But, at the same time, I have fallen off with the series. It, it It's one of those things where... There were just these hiatuses and everything else, and it was harder to remember where I left off the last time. And I, I haven't, I fr- frankly, I haven't read an issue of Saga, and probably like, I probably am behind on the last twelve issues. I have them all, but I just haven't read them um, because it took, it's taken me some mo- some effort that I don't have to catch up with it all. Um, I will, especially now that this is 
happening that we know that there's this compendium coming out i'll probably use that as 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 motivation to go and catch up with the series but to know that i'd be catching up for a series that's not coming back for at least the rest of this year most likely is not motivating on any level that 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 actually sucks yeah yeah i think to me really the only problem with saga is its publishing schedule it is frustrating and it does make the book hard to follow um because for a long time, I, I was a month-to-month reader of Saga, and I've uh, become a trade waiter. I still buy the book every month, because um, I, I collect the singles. I have almost every issue. Um, but I, uh, I, I I truly think that, similar to what Phil said about the fact that like Saga will be remembered as one of the great books of its time, I think that Saga, to me, is really representative of like comics at their best uh i think that it is one of the best examples of the medium it is it's a great story but it's not only a great story it's a unique story it is unashamed and unafraid to go to weird and wacky places and and understanding and is confident enough in itself that it that those things don't need to undercut the this this is the sincerity and the severity of its message you know you can have a story that is serious about family and you know relationships and war and experiencing uh or exploring a lot of really deep serious adult themes in a world where one of the main characters can be an adorable little seal man in overalls you know like it that is comics you know at, at its best and like the fact that Saga does that in a way that is, I think, celebratory of like what the medium can do when it's operating at its peak, it's also wholly unique in that it's it's a story that's not... Like, yeah, you can make comparisons to things like Star Wars or Game of Thrones or whatever, but like it is Saga, and there's nothing else like it, and that's because... That's because of I I, I know I, I I paused. Um, that's because of that that relationship that Sean talked about between Brian and and Fiona, who are two, uh, people who are you know at the top of their field and are at a place in their careers where they're free to do something like like this, you know. Um, and I think I I am similar to Sean, where like because I've become a trade waiter, I'm probably six to 12 issues behind. I don't exactly, I think 52 is the last one I read. So I'm actually only two then, I guess, but either way, um, I'm not caught up on this series because of its release schedule. But I think if, if you are someone who's like, wants to jump into saga, it's one of the best books in the medium. It's one of the best books coming out right now. And I think if you're okay with waiting for the next arc, it's one of the more accessible books out there i think it's one of the easiest books to give to someone who's never read a comic book before and for them to be like oh okay i see the value in this sean Absolutely. when does this compendium come out because i've actually been waiting for something like this october october um i'm gonna probably buy that i'm gonna buy this too um i want an easy way to give people saga because i always give people the first volume and then they're like how do i read more so you're gonna you're gonna give them a tome of a book yeah. <laughs> here you give them you give, give them the em. floppy and if they like it just be like there you go 
<laughs> some of them you're gonna you're gonna give up scoliosis. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like you so much. I want you to know what what I I love. Here's your back broken. I also want well, you to know what pain feels like. Pete, it, it was really good, but I feel really beefier all of a sudden. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Hellboy released this weekend. And, you know, normally we would have a review out for a, a comic book movie like this. Um, I didn't really feel like seeing it. Uh, we've, we've you know, we've done, we did a review. We, we, you know, we reviewed Shazam and we've got Avengers Infinity War or, God, Endgame on the horizon. And so this one was just kind of, you know, one of the ones that just under the radar a little bit and apparently we're not the only ones who felt that way because Hellboy didn't come in or at least at this far into the weekend didn't come in uh, first or even second place at the box office um, Hellboy is 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 looking like it's going to land in third place at 12.3 million dollars which is pretty rough. Do we know um, the um, the budget? The budget? Uh, I I can't recall. I'll I'll look it up while we're wrapping here. But I think um, it was sixty nine million. Nice. Thank you. Uh, in first place actually was Shazam. Sh- Sh- oh, second weekend in a row. Yeah, Shazam. Mm. Shazam doing really really well. Uh, pulling in another $23 million. Um, I think it would like like this. Uh, I When I first heard this, uh, and obviously Hellboy mm-hmm. not doing as well, and the sort of the reactions around it, I feel like it, it also had the unfortunate timing of being right after Shazam, which was DC's big, big push and, that they've been, you know. And right before Endgame. <laughs> right. It's like sandwiched in between these two, you know, massive movies um, one that DC had a lot of faith in and put a lot of advertising behind, and then one that people are just building up to. I, I mean, if people like audience goers had to pick between these three movies within this month, you know, they would have only gone to see the Shazam one because it's a DC, it's a DC movie, and then they're gonna go and finish up with Endgame at the end of the month, like to save some money in between. Just so you know, uh, budget was fifty million, so not good. No buenos. I don't. I- I don't know, man. Uh, I I saw it, uh, on Twitter that the uh, the Rotten Tomato score was nine. Currently, it's sitting at fourteen percent. Tomato. Okay. Meter. So, audience? No, audience so. score is sixty six percent. Oh shit! Critics? That was critic score. Yeah. I I had every intention on seeing this movie this weekend. Uh, I had more interest in this movie uh, on a on, on name value, I guess, than. Uh, then like Shazam even and I and I like Shazam a lot, um, but the trailer wasn't great obviously and as soon as I saw the Rotten Tomato score and some word of mouth, I had absolutely no interest in seeing it anymore, um, and I think that's just a classic iceberg for the Titanic of any movie is if the Rotten Tomato score is putrid and word of mouth is bad, people aren't going to see the movie. We saw that with you know. Uh, Dawn of Justice and shit like that. Even though that was like a modest m- underscore modest success, that movie really underperformed to its uh, expectations. 
let, let's let's be a little more you know uh, uh, real than that. That movie made over eight hundred million dollars. That's yeah, but that, it cost that, a that, lot, ain't, that ain't a modest success. It is a modest success because the expectation was a billion dollars. Well, compared to the expectation, okay, but that movie made a lot of money. Yeah, but it also cost a ton a lot. of money. Yeah. At the time, it was the most expensive movie ever made. Look, all I'm saying is any movie makes $800 million, you cannot call that a modest success. I don't care where your bias lies. That's not modest. That's not my bias. That's, that's the that's the actual, uh, that's what it is considered. That is big money. So, uh, Kelly, are you going to sneak into the French theaters to watch Hellboy? I would watch it for free. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Um, uh, there's no way I'm paying for it. Uh, one, I'm poor as shit. Uh, but I like I'm a big Hellboy fan. Um, and this trailer was like the the first trailer they put out was just utter garbage. <laughs> like yeah. I was really excited about it, and that trailer shut it down. Well, then, well, I I was I'm with you there, but I had the thought like you know what maybe just maybe the trailer is just bad. Yeah, right. That's always possible. For me, for me, if a trailer's bad, I'm I'm out until I hear word of mouth. I don't know, dude. Like reading some of the like I'm like on the Wikipedia page because I wanted to see what the budget was, and just like just skimming some of the critical response, like the, some like some of these reviews are fucking scathing. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes consensus they quote it says bereft of the imaginative flair that made earlier Hellboy so enjoyable, this soulless reboot suggests Dante may have left Damn. a tenth circle out of his inferno. Just like, uh, ouch, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's really unfortunate because I think with Hellboy you have a character who has a good look that, you know, is, is easy to understand visually. There's nothing too complicated about how he looks and people can understand what they're looking at. You have two movies that have come out prior to this that, you know, people enjoyed on some level, and even if they ne- didn't necessarily see them, they probably heard have heard good things yeah. through the great. I mean, there's a huge like those are cult classics. Yeah, like, the the first Hellboy movie is one of those movies that really benefited from home uh, home distribution. The yeah, DVD sales of that movie were uh, very successful. Yeah, so you know you have you have something that really is quite rare, and that I think Hollywood looks for all the time, which is a a uh, franchise that they can, you know, adapt at, that has some sort of, you know, value already. You know, without them having to do any work at all, that it has value. That's what makes – it's one of the things that makes it so easy to make these comic book movies is that there's some amount of people out there who, who have a familiarity and will spread the word. Hellboy – is already they're already movies, so it, it's unfortunate that they couldn't get it together with this because now, what are the chances that a Hellboy movie gets made in the future? I mean, it, you know? it probably will, but like it'll be probably like another ten, whatever, fifteen years, and then they'll try it again. You know, because like I there's definitely there's people care about the IP and like. Uh, even one of the reviews that I saw, like that I when I was skimming, said it's like it isn't bad because nobody wants it. It's bad because it's bad, you know. Like, and the first movies like are cult classics. There is like people like Hellboy. I think there's a chance for Hellboy to come back, but not anytime soon. There's there's definitely a chance, but I feel like 
based off this latest performance with more oversight potentially that might dilute the film and the content moving forward or like in the next iteration there's a, there's uh, just be, oh i'm sorry go ahead just because like you're going to want to course correct noting that hey this didn't do too hot what happened it was probably something to do with like the uh the character less so like the the movie production around it and so they're going to try to do something yeah i i just i just think the whole situation with hellboy is sad and um hopefully they can bounce back with another one but i i can't really see somebody wanting to sign off on another 50 million dollars to make a sequel to this definitely not a sequel with the to hellboy this one. name on it yeah for quite some time yeah yeah for sure but, Give me a Hellboy show though. That sounds great. That's a shame. I really wanted. I really wanted this to be good. Yeah. So, in what is an unprecedented move, Titans has cast an actor to actually play Bruce Wayne slash Batman on the show. Huh. And that actor is Ian Glenn. Fuck Ian Glenn. That was a reference to the Titans trailer, not to my actual feelings about Ian Glenn. He's awesome. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, nice. So where's this guy? So he's he, from he Game plays, of Thrones. Yeah, yeah he's, he he's plays on uh, Game of Thrones. He plays Jorah, who is this mentor oh. guy. Um, he's like in the Daener- friend zone for the main woman character. He's Daener- Absolutely, Daenerys is like right hand man character. So he, uh, he's an older guy. Right, so he's he's got to be in his late forties, fifties. Yeah, fifty-seven. There you go. Um, which obviously lets us know about what it is that they're going to be doing with uh, Bruce Wayne on this show. Now, the reason why this is so crazy is because Warner slash DC have been notorious about not wanting Bruce Wayne slash Batman to have. A real presence on television. Oh, this puts him in the Arrowverse. No, I don't think so. Is no, Titans no, in the Arrowverse? Uh, no. Titans, I think, is, is separate. It not? Are you sure? I don't yeah, think so. That, it's, Titans is not part of the Berlanti verse. It's its own. They haven't. They haven't crossed that bridge yet. I, nah, swear, I swear. I don't think um, so. And my feeling is the reason why they're doing this is because Titans is on the DC streaming service, so it's self-contained. Yeah, right. the Arrowverse is a franchise centered around the CW and web series alongside that. Yeah, so yeah. Just so shows. this this is pretty surprising. Obviously, Gotham features a young Bruce Wayne, but that's very different than this. This is a Bruce who's decades into his career as Batman. In fact, uh, they did give a description. Uh, after decades of fighting crime as Batman, billionaire Bruce Wayne is just as driven to protect Gotham from evil as he was in his prime. Needing to reconcile his relationship with Dick Grayson, the duo hope to forge a new dynamic as Bruce tries to help his former sidekick and the Titans achieve success. That is also unbelievable because this puts Bruce Wayne in a supporting role so, and not a main role. So you're telling me that this is Terry McGinnis and not Dick Grayson? Seems sort of feels like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A similar kind of dynamic, maybe. But yeah, I mean, this this sounds cool. Uh, obviously, I still haven't watched the show because I don't have the DC streaming app. But maybe Marco and I will trade. You know, he I'll give him my Disney login. He'll give me DC. We'll, we'll work something out here. 
I thought Marco was going to say Shway. He's not going to say good, anything. It was apparently. a good pull. It was a good pull. Oh, okay, there we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is cool. I really like Ian Glenn. Um, I, I, he's great in Game of Thrones, so I, I could see mm-hmm. him as like old, sad Batman. <laughs> yeah, right? Like grumpy and shit. Yeah. So like, I got to reconnect with my son. <laughs> Jason, can you open my pills? I'm dick. Jason's dead. Well, Jason actually is is in the show too. Oh, I did not know that. All and right. he's yeah. and he's being bumped up to a series regular, yeah. so you know he's getting killed off at the end. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Uh, I'm actually really excited for this. Still not quite enough to get me to sign up for the DC Universe app, but I probably will when Swamp Thing comes out. If I'm being honest. Honestly, Hell we should yeah. we should just fucking like sign up. For them, for the, for like us, and just write them off on our taxes at the end of the year. <laughs> Maybe we might have to do something. Let's like get some that. group accounts. So, on on the on the subject of uh, DC Comics, we do have some updates and announcements for you guys. Uh, Doomsday Clock number ten has been pushed back again. So from the last time, I doubt it. It, it has been pushed back and is now scheduled to come out on May 15th, making this two months that it has been pushed back. It was originally supposed to come out March 27th. It is now coming out May 15th. Uh, didn't, we, didn't we cover this last week? <laughs> you, yeah, we no, did. It got this is again. again. Is yeah, it was supposed to come out like week. Yeah, the first every week, week for the last four weeks. Doomsday Clock number ten has been delayed by a week. By by, by the following week. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. Mad. Amazing. All right, man. I don't. I, this book like, can take a sweet ass time for all I care. I really. I'm make I'm, it make it good. I'm not mad. It's 100 percent motivated by I really want to read the next fucking issue because it's so good. Like I'm not gonna be upset about it, but it's like fuck. Like I I wonder if the art in this one is just like really crazy or if maybe like Gary's busy. I don't know, but mm. it's it's like I've said all along. The dude asked for more time. They the fans said no. What was gonna happen? He needed more time. <laughs> You guys need to well, like me. One one thing that I think is worth noting is that Gary Frank shared art from this book way back in February. I mean, it was supposed to come out in March. The original uh, release date was March 27th. Yeah, so the point of me saying that is he's been working on this for quite some time, which fucking months. leads me to believe that it may not just be on Gary Frank. This these no, for delays. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it could be they could be getting caught up in inks or colors or who knows. And and with the the shuffling of uh, of chairs at DC, sure. like there could be uh, a lot of uh, back and forth and crosstalk uh, between higher ups. You can't rush art. I'm with you, and I'm not mad. It just, especially with all of the stuff that we've talked about, this just represents like a, a, a failure, I think, on DC's part. This shouldn't, you shouldn't have this level of delaying. 
Uh, back to back to back. At least um, you're not doing filling artists. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> but yeah, man, this this series was supposed to have been done already, and it's not. I mean, there's still two issues to go. I'm savoring it, baby. Um, and talking about delays, Batman Damned has been pushed back, also yet again. Second Damn. time, right? Damn. They gotta go through with a magnifying glass and find all that bat dick. <laughs> I like the idea that they they hire people specifically to look for bat dick in that book. They have like some under unpaid intern just going through with a fucking microscope. I said he's got a small dick. That's fucked up. That's what I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> it 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 was pushed back an entire month. Listen, yeah, that's a lot of dick. Because this one was originally March thirteenth. Got pushed back to May 22nd. Now it's supposed to come out in June. And not even the beginning of June. June 19th. That's a huge delay. Yeah, so I I don't know what's going on over at DC. I know that um, Dan Didio had made a commentary about how Batman Dam's delays were due to the fact that he uh, didn't go over the art to make sure that everything was... You know, kosher in light of what happened with Batman Damn Number One. Um, I didn't know he was Jewish. <laughs> nice. That was his and problem. Batman so, was uncircumcised. So Lee actually, Lee Bermeo actually had to go back and repaint some some portions oh, of the that's book. Right. Which is like, come on, man. Dan Didio is whatever his role is. How are you not on top of this? That would that would be a quick way to lose the quality of a book. Oh, right. this dude's going over every page, and they're gonna make me repaint it. No, nah, I'm not gonna paint it. <laughs> it's unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, but but on the positive side of the spectrum, we do actually have the return of Young Animal. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought that sentence was gonna go very different. <laughs> On the positive side of things, Heroes in Crisis has been put, pushed forward three whole months. You can get it right now. <laughs> oh, I'd love, yeah, bring that, oh, just like Old Yeller, put that thing down as well. <laughs> put it out of its misery. So, Young Animal is back with a vengeance. We've got a few new titles. Uh, we're getting more Doom Patrol, which... Is not new, but uh, you know a lot of people have been enjoying that, so that's coming back. Um, that's going to be called Doom Patrol: Weight of the Worlds. Uh, we've got a book by a writer making her debut, N.K. Jemison, uh, debuting with a book called Far Sector, which oh, is so cool. Actually, yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah, this one's going to be really cool. Uh, the art's going to be by Jamal Campbell. And this is the breakdown of what this is. Uh, newly chosen Green Lantern Sojourner Joe Moline has been protecting the city enduring a massive metropolis of 20 billion people for the past 20 uh, for, for the past six months. The city has maintained peace for over 500 years by stripping its citizens of their ability to feel. As a result, violent crime is virtually unheard of and murder is non-existent. But that's all about to change. This new series introduces a dizzying game of politics and philosophies as Joe discovers a brewing revolution in the city aided by aided and abetted by some of its most powerful citizens. That sounds fantastic. That's, yeah, that sounds that, neat. That, that's some big talk right there. That's going to be hard to walk, but 
uh, if they can walk that, I am here. Agreed. That's one of those ideas that you kick yourself for not having had. Like this is, I'm surprised that this hasn't been done before. With well, it's a it's a conceit that reminds me a lot of. Um, I've talked about it a few times on the show, uh, the Thrilling Adventure Hour, um, and they have a they have a so it's a stage reading of of um, sort of these little kind of mini uh, mini almost radio shows, um, and one of their segments was called a uh, Sparks Nevada Marshall on Mars, and it's it's a Western set in space with like robots and aliens and the the main character is like uh, uh a cowboy who is uh, uh, uh a, a western lawman um and it's tremendous that's what i'm the most excited about this for is it it reminds me a lot of uh, sparks nevada it kind of sounds um to me like brave new world you know, like with the whole everyone's like been stripped of their ability to feel and like that's how they have this societal control and that like collapses, you know, and like what are the ramifications of uh, a city of 20 billion people all of a sudden gaining like a- emotion <laughs> back, you know, like that's that sounds really interesting. I believe there's also a single night out of the year where they have something called a purge. All right. Yes, and uh, I actually can't wait for that night because I'm coming for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. All right. I'm fucked. So the last thing that they solicited is a book called Collapser, written actually by Mikey Way, who is Gerard Way's brother, and Sean Simon. Now, Kale, I would like for you to uh, pull up the, the page that we're referencing, if you have it, the Newsarama article. And I want you to tell me the name of the artist. <laughs> All right, give me a sec. Well, in the meantime, uh, yo, Marco, how are you feeling about these titles? Yeah, um, I, I like the fact that they're coming out kind of ad hoc. They're just kind of books that, okay, this looks something like a cool idea that we can do through a a publisher arm that is allowed to be more wacky and out there and weird. Um, so I'm pumped for Doom Patrol. I have the second the second book. I haven't gotten through the whole thing. Um, and Collapse and Far Sector sound dope. It, if this is a Green Lantern story, and obviously, you know, they're tied to the main DC universe, the young animal stuff, that's tied to the main DC universe? Yeah, I mean, like, they did that crossover, the Milk Wars thing, right? Like, I guess that places all of the young animal characters in the DCU proper. That's true. It is cool that they have a young animal book that's about a Green Lantern, though. Like that's right. really neat. Um, right. but yeah, we didn't like. Oh, is Kale ready? I'd like to yeah, talk come... about the plot of Collapser. It sounds neat. Hold, hold no, on, not hold yet. On. Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, all right, Pete, go on. It's taken thirty years. Uh, oh, you got it. Yes. <laughs> All right, hit us. Okay, let's see. Let me find the let me find the name. Sean Simon. Oh no, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be very good. Sean Simon. Like, I, you can, up I can say that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, acclaimed artist from GI Joe First Strike, Elias. <laughs> I don't even think that's right. <laughs> it's Greek. Eli- it's easy. Elias Kir- Kiriz- 
Kiriazis. All right. That's what we're going with. I think it's Ilias Kiriazis. Kiriazis. Ilias? No, Ilias Kiriazis. Kiriazis. Oh, yeah. So I wasn't too far off of Elias. I love love when Marco speaks other languages. I used to to speak Greek. You used to speak Greek. That's so Yeah, I I don't speak it in frequency, so. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't speak Greek anymore. Like, uh, (laughs) I can read it. Uh, nice. I'm sorry to derail the podcast, but Marco, uh, when and why did you know Greek? For instead of uh, I already knew Spanish as a second language, okay. So I decided to take another language in high school, and I took Greek. All right, that's a that, that was a, a weak move, dude. Today. You should have taken Spanish. You got an easy A. <laughs> nah. So Collapser is uh, solicited as the following. Liam James is a wannabe DJ whose life goals are almost completely dashed by his crippling anxiety until a package arrives in the mail containing a black hole that gives him amazing powers and draws him into a cosmic conflict far beyond anything he'd ever imagined. But Liam will discover that when it comes to life, love, mental health, and superhero responsibilities, there's no such thing as a quick fix and that power comes with a cost. God, I would kill for a black hole package just like that. <laughs> I'll pay whatever it takes. Yeah, no, that- it comes with a cost? Fine, I'll pay it. Give it to me. That's what I call my student loan payments. <laughs> <laughs> that laugh. <laughs> I, I think all of these are, are, are going to be pretty cool. Yeah, they all I'm sound not, good. I don't read Doom Patrol. I'm not... You know, I haven't jumped on that, but Collapser and Far Sector are books I absolutely will be buying. And these will be the first young animal books that I pick up. Uh, yeah, by all accounts, The Last Wave was very good. I think Milk Wars mm-hmm. fell a little flat, but uh, I've heard a lot of really good things about uh, uh, Shade the Changing Girl and yep. uh, what, was, what was the other one? Eternity? Eternity, Eternity Girl? Yeah. yeah. I think I might so. go back and read all of those in anticipation for these because I've, oh, I've been wanting to jump on Young Carson. Animal for a while. Oh yeah, Cave oh, Carson has a cybernetic eye, right? Carson's, yeah. That's so good. That's good. Uh, Shade the Changing Girl, which is now Shade the Changing Woman is great. Uh, Doom Patrol's been awesome. Like, oh, they, they've been solid additions uh, all around. Cool. Might, now might be the time. For this week's main topic, we're going to be we're actually going to be doing something we haven't done in a little while now. We're going to have a topic that's sort of, you know, outside of just talking about the news or, you know, film review or whatever. We caught a little break. There's not, you know, anything super major going on. So it represents an opportunity to have a broader a broader conversation. Hellboy review. <laughs> yeah. Why is Hellboy bad? Uh... No, so what we're going to be talking about is uh, something that is really simple and core to what it is that we do, which is why we love superheroes so much. Um, so I'm, when I ask that question, I mean that in the broader sense of, you know, why is why is our culture, particularly American culture, so obsessed with superheroes? But I also mean that on the micro scale of why as as individuals do we love superheroes so much um superheroes are are basically the modern day mythological figures um and 
I, I really want to talk about what it is that makes them so enduring and why it is that they've taken over media. Um, and I also want to ask what drives our connection to our favorite characters and what those characters say about us. Because I think what you love, what you don't love, all that kind of stuff, it says something about you. So I want to have that conversation here. Um, and I think a good a good place to start is on the on the macro level. What do you guys think it is about superheroes that makes them so appealing to us as as a people? I think I think a big part of it is it kind of it kind of, think about like the boom periods of superheroes. I I I I think about the Great Depression when things are really bad in the United States uh, and Superman. Batman, Wonder Woman, Shazam, and Namor all emerge. Captain America all emerge and are immediately huge successes. You have a bunch of different serials and cartoons. And during the war that followed after the Depression, you know, this is the golden age of comics. So right now... We face a similar impasse. In 2007, we had the Great Recession, 2008. And what happened around that time as well? The first Iron Man movie came out. And I think though the United States and the world have seen like GDP increase and stuff like that, for most folks, things aren't super great still. Sean, you alluded to it earlier when you were talking about how people are working two jobs and they can't afford cable because that's just how it is now. Like all there's all kinds of empirical data that like suggests that like wages have stagnated over the last 30 years and a bunch of other things of that nature. We don't have to get into it. The point is things aren't super great, but what is good is that people can go movie theaters and watch people save people like that simple they can watch people in bright colorful clothing go and be good people and they can put themselves in that they can vicariously live through that it's a kind of a wish fulfillment um there was a period in the in the 30s or in the depression where musicals were really popular they were the most popular type of movie and it's a similar concept it's escapism you're escaping from your, from the shit that you're dealing with on a day to day life, and superheroes and by nature kind of are supposed to represent the best of us because that's 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 the whole business. Um, I, I think in uh, in addition to what Phil was saying, because I was going to go down a similar road of you know we, when the MCU sort of launched kind of paralleled the the initial launch in in comics for superheroes um but i think also in the past maybe 10 years the rise of a normalization of like nerd culture and um that sort of has fed into the fact that well superheroes come from comics and comics are related tend to this sort of nerddom and uh, tangential to video games. And so video games obviously being the popular format that they are also feed into this. So it's just kind of that 
amalgamation of the right, I guess, sociopolitical time, in addition to the cultural changes that the U.S. has been going through over the same time frame. Yeah, I was going to bring up the nostalgia factor, um, which our, our generation specifically, uh, millennials, I think are are probably the chief consumers of um, or targets of, you, I guess. Especially now, right? Because we're like similar to when we were in like high school and like the 80s were that, you know? Um, because right. baby boomer or not baby boomers, um, Gen Xers were just coming into their, you know, late twenties and early thirties, and they had expendable income, and they were nostalgic for a simpler time. Now we're that demographic, and also, yeah, and I think I think now especially the the way media has evolved, it's we can get what a, basically whatever we want with the click of a button. Um, so why not and you know i think that companies have seen the that nostalgia and they've capitalized on it yeah i think i think all of all of those points are are valid and um i'm particularly moved by uh phil's um phil making the correlation between you know the recession and the rise of superhero films and superhero media. I think that that's, you know, I think, I think a lot of people looking at it today would say, well, correlation is an equal causation. How can you know that? But when you look in history, you can see examples of similar things occurring. Um, and I, and that is what leads me to believe that there's probably some level of, of, of reality to that. Um, Uh, yeah, I think so. I think. And, go ahead. I think. I think it goes beyond nostalgia. I think it goes beyond acceptance of geek culture, and I think those are kind of ripples of this effect, honestly. For sure. And the reason why I say that is the commercial appeal of the MCU and like the Dark Knight trilogy. It, it's all ages. It really radiates from, you know like baby boomers like this to you know generation z grew up with it 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 literally is like a universal type of you know media yeah but marco's definitely right to say that the it, it was the right place in the right time because you can look at like there were like the X-Men and the original Raimi Spider-Man movies were both a big thing. Like there have been other moments, 89 Batman where superheroes had crossover success, but like the, like superheroes are like a dominant thing right now. And I transcended that. Yeah, it has. And, and the, you're right that it does go broader than that. But I think that the whole, um, the timing of it is, is not, insignificant that's not contradicting my point though because my entire point was that this all happened when the recession hit like this is 2008 2009 like shit's getting really bad people are losing their homes and stuff like reality is getting like worse and worse for an everyday person so when things like that happen are beyond your control um Stuff like the MCU 
or video games and stuff like that in general become a lot more appealing. Yeah, and again, history history speaks to what you were saying. Um, and and I, I, I want to ask you guys, as a, as a follow-up, do you think that that is a... Do you think that, that, that it's a bad thing that we're at where we are with superheroes? Because you can't... You, you can't really go too far without seeing some form of superhero media, whether it's a television show, a movie, a comic, a book, or this or that... Do you guys think that the domination of, of superhero media in general is a negative? Alan Moore certainly thinks so. I, I, th- I think it is from a, from a comic book perspective in the sense that because comics are predominantly considered to be a lower art form and they're largely tied to superheroes, right? You don't necessarily... The first thing you think of when you think of a comic book is a Batman, a Superman, a Wonder Woman, Spider-Man, you know, the things that, that those are the first things that come to mind, not necessarily uh, a saga, not necessarily a, a Hellboy, right? And and that speaks to the, a larger issue of comic book medium, in, in comic book medium in the U.S., comics, I mean, superheroes aren't a genre, superheroes are comics, which is something that people can't differentiate so that when that spills over into popular culture and so this larger uh into this larger just pool of consumers that idea continues to become solidified over a larger uh over throughout a larger sample size essentially right so that idea um outside of the fact that people are leaning into graphic novels and there is this larger awareness and acceptance that idea is still being sort of pushed across uh and and being spread which is in my opinion, a bit more damaging to comic books from a legitimacy standpoint or being treated as more legitimate than they are or would be currently. That's an interesting in, point. In America. In America, sure. That, that's an interesting point. I think I disagree. And the reason that I say that is because although we haven't necessarily seen it uh, yet, over the last two years since we started this podcast, there have been so many comic book uh, movies and television shows greenlit that aren't superhero based. And so I think that we're we're pushing towards a space in which that's changing already because there are so many popular um, comic books that aren't superheroes, right? And so, you know, most... Most film companies don't have the rights to Marvel and DC characters, but they still want to make comic book movies. So they have to do different things. It's the same way comic book companies can't, like Dark Horse can't make Superman comics, right? So they have to do different stuff. And I think that what we're seeing is that there's this awareness that comic book properties in general are what's hot, right? And there's an opportunity to leverage something like a crowded, why the last man, whatever it is, into a successful property. Have we seen that happen? Yes. The Walking Dead. Yeah. Right. Everybody Um, wants their Walking Dead. Right. And I think that because The Walking Dead was so successful and because it's a comic book property, there, there is that movement towards other stuff. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. I just to respond. I I definitely agree. Like, and I, I see your point. It would um, 
And I, I think it definitely makes sense. I think my my point speaks maybe a little bit more to the fact that like in, in the Walking Dead example, you have, oh, Batman, Superman, superheroes, comic books. Whereas Walking Dead, oh, zombies and like a post-apocalyptic world, not necessarily the comic books. You have to tell somebody that, hey, this is actually based off of a comic book. And they're like, oh. That's fair. It's not it's not something that's like as as synonymous and obviously not because um you immediately think a genre and it relates back to it but just from an awareness standpoint of people not knowing that it was a comic book in the first place and thinking it of it as just an original property. You're the the point definitely stands. Um but I think that's just like a, a another way to sort of angle um what I was kind of trying to get across. I, I want to make one last point on that and then I'll stop. Um I think that that's true, but I also think that when you look at the correlation between like The Walking Dead's success as a television show and what it did for comic book sales for that title, you can see that the fact that it is a comic book helps because it. I go ahead. I don't know that I necessarily agree because we haven't seen that success replicated anywhere else. Well, look at Deadly Class. I mean, Deadly Class isn't a success on the level of Walking Dead, but the only, comic only just, and that's only come out just now, though. Yeah, but this is but this is all new. We we're only we're only you know if you count Iron Man as the start, we're only eleven years into this, and Walking Dead well, yeah. came out in you know what twenty ten, and that was a massive yeah. success. But but by comparison, Deadly Class came out this year. Sure. So I like I. The, we haven't seen the long-term ramifications of that. It, yeah, of what, course. What, what I'm what I'm saying is, you know, at like where we're at right now. Yes, we are seeing them branch into comic book properties, and and I think you know, similar to you know, like uh, fucking Jurassic Park, you know, based on a book. Uh, I Robot. I don't. I can't name three more other. I, I couldn't do it if I wanted to, <laughs> uh, but but you know it's not there. There there was a period of time where they were pulling from books, uh, they were pulling from other TV shows to to revamp and reboot. You know, uh, right now it's it's comic books turn, um, and as far as like The Walking Dead goes, like outside of superheroes in terms of television and media right now it's still predominantly superheroes and now because of the walking dead it's superheroes and zombies well i think that i would argue no. that then this is a different thing like the zombie thing started before the walking dead yeah, that was kind that's... of the culmination of that which is another argument that could be made to marco's point but i want to get back to sean's original question um about whether or not we think it's a good thing and i i don't I don't know that it's either, you know, like for me as somebody who grew up liking superheroes when they were a fairly niche thing, uh, niche thing, I, I, I feel like there are both good and bad things that came from the popularization of the medium. And I think that that's true of most things that are counterculture that become mainstream, you know, um, there's greater exposure. So the fact that more kids are growing up in a world where it's normalized to like superheroes and are getting exposed to those things. I think that is a good thing. You know, I think that that, um, 
that is something that because the MCU and this age of the superhero in the modern in our modern culture has lasted as long as it has, there are kids that have grown up with the MCU like always being around, you know, and have been exposed to the idea of superheroes and being captivated by superheroes from a young age. And I think that's a really empowering thing. Um, if you if you were ten years old when Iron Man came out, you're twenty one now. Right. And what what does that mean for an an age of creators, you know, who grew up interested and captivated by these by these characters, you know? Um and I think that's part of why I don't why the superhero trend has continued and why I think it it won't die out uh in the way that people have predicted for a long time. You know, like will we eventually not be as obsessed with superheroes as we are right now? Probably, but um you know, you have to think like there's always been like like Sean said, they're a staple of American culture. You know, this is the most dominant they've been in a while. But it, it, you know, um, Phil could sit here for thirty minutes and tell you how fucking popular Superman was at the height of his popularity in you know uh, the thirties and forties. So it's like this isn't unheard of. It's just you know the internet age and the more global culture that we exist in has made it bigger and larger and there's bigger money in it which means that there's corporate interest in it i don't think it's inherently a bad thing um there's a lot of people who will definitely try to spin it that way uh though those voices are quieter and quieter uh you go you go back to the 50s and it's someone like frederick wortham who wrote seduction of the innocent trying to find a spin on how this stuff's bad and that shit was sure. all made up or <laughs> Wonder know. Woman promotes lesbianism. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are a lot more lesbians out now than. <laughs> um, or like Alan Moore is he? He fucking calls anyone that reads these books man children, basically. Um, and I don't think these books inherently make anyone a quote unquote man child. I don't, I don't, I don't think it, I think it's rather nebulous, you know? Um, I think people of varying acuity and personalities will get what they want out of whatever they consume because there's such a range of this stuff. So that's a good segue, Phil, into my next question. Um, what is it that we get out of it? You know, as 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 individuals, what is it that we get out of our continued relationship with superheroes? I I'd like Marco to jump get in. swamp ass. <laughs> Marco does get swamp yeah, ass, basically. Uh, <laughs> I'd I'd like to jump in here because this kind of ties into the point I wanted to make with your first question, but I wanted to save it to now because it's more appropriate. Here is I think for me. One of the things that I think is why superheroes speak to people and why I connected with superheroes at a young age and like have carried them into my adult life is because I think uh, the the kind of archetype of the superhero that was created with Superman has been um, kind of iterated on in so many ways that they're you know, especially now, I think there really is a character for everyone. And I think that it's easy to find 
a character who you identify with and whether it's because you identify with their their personality or their trauma or you know um just the kinds of stories that they get to interact with like whatever it is it's easy to find a character who you can kind of connect with and imprint yourself on and uh for me, like the, you know, it's it's no secret that I'm a big Spider-Man fan. And that was a big part of why I connected with Spider-Man at a, at a young age was because Sam Raimi's, you know, I had grown up in the 90s. So Spider-Man was on the cartoon uh, on, on the TV with a lot of cartoons. I had action figures. I read Spider-Man comics. Sometimes I played the games like I liked the character, but I didn't really connect with him on an emotional level until um, the Sam Raimi films came out and it was right around the same time that my mom got cancer and um, the message of how Peter uh, like grew, like took the trauma of losing Uncle Ben and use that as a catalyst for positive change to become an altruistic person and to try and, um, you know, like not not wallow. You know, and 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 um, that that was something that really like resonated with me when I was you know a, a very impressionable, and um, as I I grew up and like found myself in another like period of change and self doubt as like a teenager, that was when I really got back into reading comics again, and it was with um, was with Ultimate Spider Man first, you know, and it was a similar thing of like. That was stories about a Peter who was, you know, my age and going through a lot of the same stuff that, you know, that I was going through. And that was, you know, what um, drew me in. And I had a similar thing with Invincible in my 20s, you know, where I was in another period of not knowing what my place in the world was and who I wanted to be. And that is what that book was about, you know, is somebody in that period growing up and figuring it out. Um, so I think that's a big part of why superheroes resonate with people and why I think like, um, inclusion is such a big movement now is that like that, that is an empowering thing. And I think for me, that was, um, definitely the, uh, the appeal was that it gave me tools to deal with things that were difficult for me, you know, in a way that was like fun. Um, but that also, made me feel, I guess, like, like my problems were, were more universal, you know, that I wasn't alone in the struggle, that there were other people who were dealing with similar things and, you know, um, and came out the other end okay. So for me, I, I, I was thinking about my relationship with stuff like, like Common Rider, um, and you know, by by that extension, stuff like Power Rangers and, and and Ultraman, and then you know your your standard American superheroes. I think for me, it's it's sort of a almost a higher sense of purpose. You know, uh, in in the case of you know uh, characters like your various common writers or or, or like Batman or Spider Man generally these these characters are are put in situations where only they can solve this problem whatever it may be um i think there's there's something that is very appealing to me um 
about that fact because it's you know it's it's so outside of real life you know it's um it's listen you've got this power and it came to you you're the only one that can do this um and it's just uh, i i get yeah that higher sense of purpose is is just so um huge to me because like it's not you know this this certainly isn't to degrade you know people like firefighters or, or policemen or, or you know even the military um but it's like the stuff that they do for the most part is so it's like anyone could just do that you know and it's been sort of uh, you know political opinions aside like the you know the military for eons has been used for another person's purpose you know kings uh, democracies whatever um but you know when you have this this one thing that's absolutely yours and makes a difference um that's that's i think the the thing that appeals to me the most that's pretty cool i've actually never i've never really thought of that or heard it put that way uh, Marco, you of the five of us probably have the least, like, you have the least relationship to superheroes in general. Um, not necessarily comics, but just superheroes. So, how does this question land with you? Uh, do you feel connected to superheroes, and if you do, what what is that tether for you? Um, I do feel connected to superheroes, but maybe not from like a values perspective. Because by by the time that I started reading comics, you know my my perceptions about right and wrong and like respond and things like like responsibility had already been formed by other other medium, and so jumping into comics was more so from wanting to do so from just like uh, an art appreciation standpoint, and then I sort of just fell into finding stories that portrayed characters more um which is why i ended up uh having swamp thing be my favorite character was just because it wasn't necessarily a book about trying to discover who you were who you are um but like posed larger questions that i was interested at the time and i i gravitated towards books and superheroes that did the same so something like a sandman um something like uh uh, Watchmen, right? Like it, the these books that portray larger ideas and less so um, events of one growing up, which obviously comes because of when I picked up the book. So, like, I still have the connection. It's just not in the same personable way. I'm fascinated by that too. Um, it's because it's it's just so opposite of my experience that it's interesting to hear someone someone's take on something that is so a part of my life for my whole life it's interesting to hear your take on something like that from the perspective of someone who didn't grow up with it i think that's really cool like like i grew up with like the like the x-men and stuff from the shows but those are deviations from the comics 
but they still obviously helped to solidify the message. Um, but that message was provided with like, uh, like cartoons and stuff and um, that kind of thing. So, what about you, Phil? Well, obviously, the person I am today wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Doom Force. Um, <laughs> how how long did it take you to Google that off color '90s reference? <laughs> like like five minutes. Mm. <laughs> uh, particularly Spinner and the Scratch, or characters like Blood Wolf. I'll give you three more. <laughs> the cr- the crying boy Shasta, the Living Mountain. <laughs> um yeah you know it just really speaks to the inner angst in my heart you know um, i've always i've always thought you would be a big fan of uh the living ted the living street from uh, doom patrol um what's that oh, i was actually just pulling from yeah the doom force is from doom patrol <laughs> and so i was definitely just pulling that um there's that one X, x-men character that's like named the extreme or something from the 90s um that's also me <laughs> um because really i'm just like a rad dude you know i just oh ride on my skateboard <laughs> all right already okay. pouches and ponytails and bin guns and shit <laughs> um well like i think i think of it in like kind of three categories i guess because like there's like there's like the characters i was gravitated to on just coolness factor um, like I thought the X Men were rad as hell as a kid, and I just I gravitated toward them because they were colorful. They were from a bunch of different countries, uh, and they could do a bunch of different specific things. <laughs> they're all like <laughs> they were like the Voltron of superheroes, <laughs> and that they would come together and form one complete superhero. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, somehow it does. Yeah. Fuck, I want to read that X Men book. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the head? Uh, definitely Cyclops. Cyclops, right? Yeah. He's the uh, eyes. He sees everything. Yeah, exactly. He's the eye. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, and then, like, the next level is, like, characters I want, I, I personally relate to. And it's kind of like your Batman, as much as you can with a billionaire, or someone like Daredevil, where it's, like, the concept of, like, these are guys who get knocked down and they get right back up. That's something that I really value in Dragon Ball too, which is all these characters grow through struggle, and like that's a, that's an experience we all ideally relate to. Is that like the person we become and uh, the things that we try to accomplish come through great adversity, um, whether it's like an emotional turmoil for someone like Batman, or in the case of something like Dragon Ball, like overcoming your own physical boundaries which you could relate to in like a career sense you know so that's that's something i can relate to on a personal level uh you you, you're able to vicariously put yourself in the character's position and then the other aspect of that is the person you want to be and that's my relationship to superman because superman represents the best of us he he, there's that classic thing from all-star superman where morrison references um uh, uh, Pico, uh, uh, shit. He's a Renaissance thinker who basically uh, uh, waxed f- philosophically about how like people are great imitators. They look at fish and they want to swim. They look at birds and want to fly. Why not look at angels, which are supposed to be the best of us? And that's what Superman is. And when I read, when I read Pico Mirandella, that's his name. Um, 
so when I would read something like All Star Superman, it really was like a personal Bible in a lot of ways because I would read that when I was at the lowest points of my life and think I can still be this person. Uh, I'm Clark Kent, but I can be Superman because Superman isn't about the powers; it's about being the best version of you. Because for both Clark and Kal El or whoever, Superman is the best that he can be. He is the best that we can all be and all his stories are just paul bunyan versions of the human experience you know when he walks crypto he walks around saturn so around the neighborhood shit like that you know so um that's what that's what i gravitate toward with something like superman it's it's just it's just it's an ideal it's it's just it's something you can be we can all be and there's no reason we can't be because this whole thing is altruistic in nature Wow, uh, that that's that's awesome, um, and I think that you know I was you know I was planning to talk about what it what it is that your favorite hero says about you, and I think that this isn't true of everyone because there are a lot of people who enjoy superheroes and have enjoyed them their entire lives, but it's superficial to where there's not necessarily a deep reason why they love Batman or Wolverine, but they just love them fiercely anyways. Um, but with someone like Superman and you specifically, Phil, I very much can see that he's not just your favorite character, he's also an inspiration. And I love that superheroes can be that in a way that a lot of other figures can't be. You know, or are not, right? Um, yeah, in real life, like, a lot of heroes I've had in real life have either been martyrs or have killed themselves. Uh, superheroes don't do that. They don't do that, and also, they don't... Like, let's say, for example, one of my heroes growing up, right? Uh, Martin Luther King, right? Martyr. <laughs> but but martyr, yeah, but, like, even if even if that wasn't the case... Flawed figure. Sure. Right? Sure. Superman isn't that. Even even like Spider-Man, right? Not really really a flawed figure. He he makes mistakes, but they're human mistakes that you can relate to that don't make you um, controversial or bad or whatever. Right. When he does the wrong thing, he feels bad about it and he makes amends because that's what a good person does. Although in the case of (laughs) Spider-Man... He does do a thing that most people don't do, which is make a deal with the devil to annul his marriage with his wife. <laughs> but well, yeah, but guess what? There's a lot of people who want to do that. <laughs> which is the other thing? That's the power fantasy. Yes. <laughs> um, but you know, for me, I wish I could say that I had that kind of depth of relationship. With a character. I'm surprised that you don't because of how much you love superheroes. Yeah, I really don't. Like, when I think about the characters that I love the most, like, my favorite comic book character is Jean Grey, and I can't tell you why. Fuck. You know, I really don't know. I don't think, I don't think so. (laughs) Like, I don't think that that's. You know so. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think that that's where that comes from, but. I know that I'm I'm I have a deep affection for that character. That's not the same as like other characters necessarily. Um, it's yeah, because like I get that too, though. Like there are plenty of characters who I have that kind of relationship with, where it's like I don't see myself in them, but I just connect with their journey. Right, 
Yeah, exactly. Well, um, when, when I think of my personal relationship with Bloodsport, it just says that I'm a gnarly dude and I go fucking it, hard in the Shut pain. the fuck up, Phil. I go hard <laughs> in the pain. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think I, I, I can find the value in these characters for sure. Like, I could tell you why... Um, I have an appreciation and affection for Batman, but not not in a way that it influences my life. I think the way that superheroes have influenced my life probably probably has more to do with the fact that they were there for me when I had nothing more than necessarily lessons that I've learned. But I also think, and this is maybe deeper than we can go, but I think that when you when your favorite character is superman for example and you're 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 he's your favorite because of something not superficially that says something about who you are probably and i love that about these characters that if someone says their favorite character is spider-man you can tell like it's not a surprise that pete's favorite character is spider-man it's very it makes a lot of sense. So that that is very much what I was trying to say before, right? When I said like what it means to me is like I think that's that point of like everybody has a character that they connect with for whatever reason. And I think you're right that like it's it's I think it's similar to why like something like Pokemon was so popular, right? It's like there's so much variance and it's easy for you to be like, This is the one that this says something about me that I want you to know. You know, like this projects something about about my values or about my personality or, you know, it's it's the same reason that people connect with that's art in general. Right. Like the, the things that I think you're right, Sean, the things that you love, that you hold up, that you wear on a T-shirt or tattoo on your body or whatever, like that you share with the people you love, like they, they do say something about you and what you care about. Shit, man, you make a good point. I never realized why I loved Muck so much, but it's because his name backwards is cum. <laughs> and that's what you value. because you're a cum bag. <laughs> uh, Kale, what do you what do you make of, of that um, as it relates bags. to... <laughs> God damn it, Phil. <laughs> Gross. But, you know, as it relates to uh, superheroes reflecting the you know whatever you love reflecting the individual behind it i i I do see that and and i think similar to i very similar to uh uh uh, pokemon just like um um pete said i i it it does make it does make a lot of sense i I don't know. i i agree i don't have anything really to add to that i think you know with something especially especially in the case of superheroes i think because it's also not one contained thing you're you know you're looking at different people's viewpoints of one character one person you know and then the various characters you know who are who are around them and and how they interact that's a great so point I, too, Kale. Yeah. I think I think, you know, yeah. That's also sort of why the best way to 
sort of have your own personal continuity is to just sort of pick what version of that person you like. Hmm. Yeah, who is X character to you? God, that sounds like yeah. Stockholm Syndrome. That's like being married. <laughs> like, like <laughs> you're choosing the things you like about the person. No, these parts aren't bad, I swear. It's not what he was saying, and you know it. I mean, listen, I wouldn't pick up a, a book of Superman by Scott Lobdell, but some people, <laughs> some people like trash, and that's... Oh. Well, that's like if you're talking to someone and you're asking them who their favorite Avengers character is, and if they say something like Thor or Captain America or something like that, you're like, oh, cool, let's hang out. Or if they say something like Iron Man, you're like, oh, get the fuck away from me. You know what? Even <laughs> You know they're right wing and... <laughs> oh, my God. Come on, you guys. <laughs> even Iron Man... Man, like, he's a character who presents himself. He very much is 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 the um, the epitome of what what I think comics are about in a lot of ways, which is identity. And he's a guy who presents himself one way to the world, but on the inside, he really isn't necessarily that. He has an alcohol problem. He has deep struggles, you know, and I. I really appreciate that. He he hides behind an iron mask, you know, um, in when he's not wearing the Iron Man suit and when he is. And I think that's incredible. Well, it's, um, like, it's like the Batman thing, right? Right. He's, he's in, always in, wearing a cowl, as it were. In in a sense, but I think I think yeah. Well, you know that we can get into this. This is such a deep rabbit hole. I didn't even realize how. Like how deep this could all go? You kidding me? You um, gave us the open-ended question of why do we love superheroes? <laughs> well, yeah, I, sure, but I guess like the the way that you can examine all of these characters yeah. and what they say about you and why you like them, like it just goes so deep. Um, Marco, I want to go back to you. You love Swamp Thing, and we joke about that a lot, and but that's your favorite character right and so hands down yeah so like but because you you didn't necessarily find swamp thing at five years old and decided that that was your guy how was your relationship with that character um like almost almost in a weird way like more mature like how is it different how was your how was your um relationship different with him than say like pete's with spider-man Marco did not choose Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing chose Marco. It's not a religion. It is a relationship with Swamp Thing. (laughs) The green chose Marco. That's right. Let's let's take a second and talk about our Lord and Savior, Swamp Thing. That's right. Marco, lead us in prayer. Hail the green. (laughs) All hands on the ground. Um, (laughs) Someone find find the nearest plant. Put your hand in the dirt. (laughs) Um, So for me, uh, the reason I chose... um, Something was just because it was an Alan Moore book. Thank you, Pete. I, I have a flower, guys. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> I have a flower. You can you can you can tell Pete got a girlfriend. <laughs> hey, I like flowers. Um, and and so I I was following the the author at that point, right? So I was looking at 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 authors, and that's how I was sort of jumping around with different comics, um, and. When I ended up finding Swamp Thing, it was a story of 
essentially somebody who has lost their physical humanity but retains their um their emotional their emotional humanity and i think for me that was something that allowed alan moore to focus more so on the emotional aspects on like the uh his thinking he monologues he he has ideas about different kinds of approaches to life and and death because he's lived through those experiences and it it allows him to speak more onto like art and that was something that i was craving at that time which was art and he's uh, a character who can have those higher level conversations you know he instead of coming into a situation you know with fists he'll, he'll come in and he'll literally talk to the embodiment of say of uh, of all of evil and have a conversation as to why or why not it makes sense to um commit atrocities and um that those were interesting and engaging conversations that i was looking for uh outside of the comic book medium but happened to find in it and so i wanted to continue to explore that and the character for me was one that was able to to gather all this and continually grow by gathering this information by by being able to uh, learn a new skill, learn a new something about themselves, or just learn something in general, and be able to continually iterate and grow. And that for me was the big thing. It was just like the growth aspect was uh, the greatest appeal because for me, it's like oh, I am ingesting all of this information, uh, and I am growing as a human, and so is this character, and I and I can see that. Wow. I I specifically, you know, on the topic of of seeing the the elements of of your sort of superhero who who you know makes you you know similar to how what sean was saying with phil and superman uh one of the very first like personal experiences we had with marco was was in wizard world and we uh all got these um commissions from plaid klaus and Marco, as as he's wont to do, got a, a swamp thing, and it took. I, I mean, several people went up to Plaid Glass apparently and said, "Dude, you, this is Marco's like legit favorite character. Like you, like do it good." And Plaid, Plaid was like, "No, dude, I got it. Don't worry." <laughs> and then when when Marco got it, Marco wept. Like, yeah and it's and and it's it's a picture of swamp thing like it and correct me if i'm wrong marco it's a it's a picture of of swamp thing like holding a flower and, and, yep. and watching it grow yep and uh, like that image has i i think very much shaped how i see you i think um i i you know i I and and your description of of the way you found Swamp Thing and 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 uh you know the you found him as an adult you found him while you were looking for literature and in that you know while you were holding that book this this love for this character grew out of you and it's it's this 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 gentle sort of offbeat thing that uh I think you know i don't i i don't know that i've ever seen in another person boy we saw also 
we saw opposite sides of Marco that weekend. <laughs> I mean, you didn't sleep with him. Well, Marty didn't sleep with him. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. Uh, we'll take that. We'll take that one to the long boy, the long box later on. It's uh, it really is incredible that you were able to have that depth of feeling and and that response as an adult not because adults don't get to feel things like that just because i understand it a lot if someone who fell in love with spider-man when they were five gets this beautiful piece of art um from an artist about this character i get that and i i guess it it just it just amazes me that that you could feel that way now about a character you, you re- relatively speaking just met um i think that's great i um i i uh i remember it was a couple of years ago i'm getting personal now folks <laughs> i uh i remember it was a few years ago i was going through a really tough time and i was reading all-star superman a lot and uh my birthday was coming up and a very good friend of mine uh without even asking drew a picture of one of the covers for me, which wow. still hangs over my bed uh, years later, and I sometimes I take it for granted, as you do with shit on your wall, you know. But um, this is that type. Of, I, I get it, Marco. <laughs> yeah, and like it's also for me it was my first like ever commission one, and to have it be one that was like done so well, and 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 to me just entering this fandom, and to have this like interaction response, so. It was just a bunch of things at the same time. Yeah. Awesome. I think that that's a good place to wrap up this conversation. Uh, Hopefully you guys at home enjoyed it. I think that superheroes are deeply important to our culture. Uh, Yeah, there, there is a lot of money to be made off of them and corporations certainly have not missed a dollar. But um, what often gets lost in that, I think, is the real people on the ground who just love these characters, right? Who just who just adore them, who who have been impacted them, impacted by them as you know, five year olds or twenty five year olds or even you know even older than that, um, and that, and that's important. And Grant Morrison uses them a- to power him up. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We talk a lot about negative stuff on this show, um, and we talk a lot about like negative stuff as it relates to these characters and how they're used or militarized or politicized or whatever. But sometimes it's nice to strip that away, and so I'm glad that we were able to do that here. A um, couple plugs before we jump out of here. Uh, we do have the Infinity Book Club that we'll be launching next friday so stay tuned for that you're definitely going to want to check that out before this friday this friday i'm sorry yeah this friday uh you're definitely going to check that out before you see endgame because i guarantee you that there are characters and events in infinity that will um remind you of some things that you have seen and potentially be echoes for stuff that you will see so definitely want to check that out we've got a hellboy book club out now if you happen to check out the movie and you want to see where some of the inspiration came from you're going to want to hear that book club or if you just want to hear us talk about a good hellboy story if you, uh, it's the uh, first honestly, one it's a good one honestly listen to the book club instead of watching the movie <laughs> it'll be a better time go. it was there it was go. well made 
And and our Shazam book club is out there too. Shazam just came out. It's still rocking the box office. If you've had an opportunity to see that movie, uh, this is almost one-to-one in terms of an influence. So you're going to want to give that a listen. Phil and I also did a wrestling special. Uh, We reviewed WrestleMania 35. You guys often request us to do those. So Phil and I got another another review in. Hopefully you guys enjoy that. We talked about 35, NXT TakeOver, and the Raw After Mania. So lots of good content for you guys. With that... (laughs) Kofi Mania, um, bitch. And, uh, of course, if you want to let us know your thoughts about this episode, uh, let us know your relationship with superheroes. We'd love to hear it. Um, you can get us on social media at the Comics Pals. Write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Uh, and, of course, if you're listening to this on social media or if you're listening to this on whatever podcast hosting platform it is that you prefer, you can leave us a comment there and also a like. So uh, help us out. All that stuff's free to do, and it helps us a lot more than it costs you. Let's get into some plugs. Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of The Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me on social media, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come talk to me about your favorite superhero. I'd love to hear who they are and why. Um, or Star Wars. I'm, I've been talking about Star Wars a lot on Twitter. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a Star Wars kind of mood right now. So come, come chat with me. And uh, if you want to get some more content with me, uh, you can follow my work over at LootPots.com, uh, where I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast. And... Uh, also, like, write about Nintendo stuff sometimes. So, um, if you like video games, go check it out. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto in Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. You can find my work as well as uh, all the podcasts I'm on um, at KaleWar.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. Um, this week on Gone Global, uh, Jess and I talked about um, uh, random history. So she talked about her deep family history with the uh, the British Postal Service, and I talked about my deep family history with Roswell, New Mexico. Oh fuck yeah! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that so, sounds really uh, interesting. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Um, you can find Gone Global anywhere. You can find the Comics Pals. So um, if you are subscribed to the Comics Pals and not Gone Global, you have no excuse, and you're out of my life. Uh, you can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I do want to thank the pals for letting me talk about Swamp Thing. And to add to Swamp Thing, uh, <laughs> Newsrama recently broke that um, or announced that we're going to get a collection in Omnibus of Nancy Collins' Swamp Thing run, um, which is a really underrated run. Uh, she doesn't get a lot of representation a lot of the time in some of her older work. So uh, for anyone who's a fan of Nancy Collins, she's a great horror writer and uh, this run in particular was a lot of fun. Marco, how is cool. there not an Alan Moore Swamp Thing omnibus? I think there is one. Or like they were gonna not, they were announcing something, and I don't know. That I, I think there might be like bulk collections. There are. There are not, yeah. Wasn't wasn't Black Label gonna put one out? I think they canceled it. Oh my god. Yeah, Phil. You can uh, find me at Sean Soapbox on Twitter and Instagram only. And uh, make sure you hit me up about how it'd be very sexy if Jean Grey was a cat pirate. (laughs) I hate what you just said. Those are fighting words. (laughs) Um, So like Tigress from Kung Fu Panda. Very much. That was wait, extremely wait. disrespectful. So if Angelina Jolie was Jean Grey? 
Huh. I could get into that. You, you yeah. Can, you, you turn... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, popcorn Sean. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Phil plugged me, so I guess oh, we're out of here. <laughs> Listen, you don't know what happened at WrestleMania. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye. Uh, you know what? Sometimes superheroes are kind of totems for people. I think Pete might be Black Bolt because he's loud like Black Bolt. <laughs> um, I'm definitely Spuds McKenzie. There he is. What a happening dude. That was <laughs> long enough. <laughs> Phil is the original party animal. <laughs> <laughs>